You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. All right. Everybody doing good? Doing well? Praise the Lord. I uh, was thinking during worship today about um, the woman named Mary who poured out the fragrant oil that cost her a year's worth of wages to pour out on Jesus's feet. I think she anointed his head with oil and then she put it on his feet as well. And, and during worship, especially on that last song, I just began to look around the room and, and I've, I felt like I was witnessing people being broken open. And I, and I, I was witnessing people being poured out or pouring out their worship, pouring out their costly oil in worship. And I just, I began to realize that when people around me are pouring out their hearts, their hearts of worship, it affects me. When people are pouring out their costly oil, it, it gets on me. And I began to worship in a greater level. And so I wanted to say to those of you who were really going for it this morning, thank you. We actually need you to do that. We need, we, we want to be a house of extravagant worship. Amen. Because at the heart of who we are and the heart of what we want to be about is worshiping Jesus because we believe that he's worthy, you know? And um, another part of worship that we experienced this morning was when Robin gave that word this morning. You know, he was pouring out a word for our benefit. There's a strength that comes into our hearts when those prophetic words come to us. We actually need those. That's not, that's not a sideshow of the Christian life. That's that's part of who we are. That's part of our inheritance as believers is to continually hear from the living God in our lives. And um, I don't know about you, but I need the Lord's voice in operation in my life. Amen. So thank you, Lord, for for um, helping us. Thank you for helping us, Lord. We want we want more of your help. We want more of your guidance in our lives. Well, y'all, today uh, I have a message. It's called Discipled by Joy. And I got this idea because I, I've actually, I've, I've turned a corner in my life. It, it, it wasn't strategic, this, this turning for me. It wasn't because I, I planned my life better. It was that I, I walked into a suddenly season or a sudden season with the Lord that I can only describe to you like this. In my life, it seems like I fall into mud pits all the time. I just like walking along and I just like fall into pits of mud over and over and over. And um, well, maybe you can't relate to that, but maybe you can. If you know what I'm talking about, raise your hand real quick. You know, just constantly stumbling into some kind of miry pit, right? But lately... 
I've been falling into the same muddy pits, but I, every time I come out now, I'm wearing a new Rolex. I didn't change anything. I didn't start dieting, eating better, praying more, having more devotions, singing louder. I didn't do anything. I just attributing this to the favor of God. And, um, and it's interesting because I have a long history of being a person who has been well acquainted with grief, well acquainted with troubles. Uh, you, you know, if you've heard any of my messages or if you've heard any of my songs, I'm always trying to make sense out of the various trials that people go through. And somewhere along the line, um, the Lord began to show me or to speak to me that while it was good and necessary for me to learn from some seasons of suffering and to really extract the gold out of the seasons of trouble that I've walked through, I felt like the Lord was taking me into a place where he was going to have me actually be discipled by joy. And that was like a new idea for me to be learning from a stream or a river of joy is just as legitimate as learning from a river of sadness. All right. So um, one, what I want to start out with is this. If you're a Christian, there are things about being a Christian that are distinct from being a non-Christian. I know that seems obvious, but it's worth saying. There is, there's a distinction. There are things that distinguish you as a follower of Jesus that, that makes you stand out or makes you look at the world a little differently than somebody who is a pre-Christian or a non-believer or a not yet believer. Okay. It's important that we talk about these things because sometimes if we're walking through the world and we kind of like, you know what I'm talking about, you can get a little lax in your faith or you can get a little less serious about walking with Christ as maybe you once were. It's good to be reminded that there's a reason why we follow Christ. Amen. So this is what I want to start out with. Jesus is our God and Jesus is our teacher. Jesus is the one teaching. We are the ones learning. He is teaching. We are learning. Turn to your neighbor and say, he is teaching. We are learning. There you go. So this, this message is called discipled by joy. But, but what does it mean to be a person who is discipled? What is a disciple? So a disciple is someone who follows a certain teacher in order to learn from them. So we throw around that phrase, the disciples this, the disciples that. And you can actually lose the meaning of that word. But people who are disciples of Christ are people who are actively learning from their teacher. So a disciple is also someone who is being taught in order to learn a way that is different than the one they already know. So 
you met the Lord, you became a Christian, and then you started to learn a different way than you knew before. Hopefully that's the case. All right? A disciple is someone who will potentially change from their old way of being to a new way of being. This is the Christian life, y'all. We knew one way and we're learning a new way. And, you know, it should be said that it takes a little time sometimes to learn this new way. In fact, you could say it, it, it takes a lifetime to learn this. You never stop growing in Christ. You never stop, no matter how old you've been in the Lord, no matter how old you are, you are always going to be a disciple in that he is teaching and you are learning. A disciple, now this is really key, a disciple is someone who will eventually look like the one who is teaching them. So you're not just gaining information, you're actually going to look very similar to the one who is teaching you. It's, it's more than going to class and learning calculus or English literature where you, you gain information, you gain knowledge. In the case of being a disciple, what you're doing is you're learning and you're changing. And that change is going to lead you to the place where you look like the one who is teaching you. And we are disciples of Jesus. We are listening and we are looking at Jesus because we want to know what he says and what he does. But, but if you're like me, you've come to this realization. Being a disciple is not easy because learning a different way than you already know is difficult. The things that Jesus teaches are different from what we currently understand. Can you agree with me on that? The things that Jesus teaches are different than the way we think and the way that we believe currently. We're gaining knowledge by degree. And the things that Jesus teaches are so different from the standard operating procedures of the world. Okay, here is something that the church does differently than regular culture. We gather on a day of the week and we lift our eyes and our voices to somebody that we cannot see. That is what distinguishes us as Christians. That's one of the things that we do. It's one of the things that we do that's important to gather together and turn our hearts and our faces towards the Lord. So our actions, the things that we are, are learning, they're going to set us apart from the standard operating procedures of the world. We think that life works one way, but then Jesus comes and he teaches us that true life works another way. For example, I want you to think for a minute, what does it mean to be blessed? In your mind, I bet you can imagine a certain way or a specific way that being blessed looks. 
And if you're like me, somebody who's truly blessed, in my mind, they look like this. They're wealthy. They're healthy. They live a relatively trouble-free life. By the Old Testament standard, they have a lot of children. They have safety. They have security. They have a lot of really good stuff going on in their lives. In their lives. Right? Would that be a safe assessment that uh, of the word blessed? If I said, oh, they're blessed. Healthy, wealthy, trouble-free life, right? That's the way we think. That's the way people think. When Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, the people who he was talking to had an idea of what it meant to be blessed. And Jesus shows up on the scene and he says something totally the opposite of what they expected. Jesus gave us an expanded definition of what it means to be blessed. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks these words. You are blessed when you are poor and you realize your need for him because then the kingdom of God is yours. He comes saying the exact opposite understanding of what everybody else assumed. People's assumption was that if you're blessed, you have money and you have health and you have wealth and you have abundance and all of this stuff. And he says, wait a second, wait a second. Let's expand that definition just a little bit. Blessed are you if you're poor and you realize your need for him because then the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is yours. Now, some translations say poor, but others say poor in spirit. So this verse could mean that you either lack money or it could also mean that you have no means within yourself to be victorious. I mean, some would say that it's better to have money than to have strength. I don't know. I've lived a lot of my life without strength. I think, I think being poor in spirit is pretty hard to, to live with. I think a lot of people get discouraged because within themselves, they feel poor in their spirits. And Jesus comes along and says, you're not cursed. You're actually blessed if that's where you find yourself. So Jesus is the one discipling us and he's teaching us a new way. So either way, whether you're poor or you're poor in spirit, what we previously thought was a description for being cursed is turned upside down and Jesus arrives on the scene and he says, nope, whether you're poor or you're poor in spirit, count yourself blessed. So to us, it seems completely reasonable to look at being poor as not being blessed. That seems reasonable, right? But the Jesus way to look at being poor is that when you are poor, you are blessed. Jesus is teaching us a different way. He is discipling us. He is teaching and we are learning. So Jesus shows up on the scene in the Sermon on the Mount. And it really is the beginning of Jesus giving us a different way to see and a different way to hear. 
Jesus is teaching us a new way of looking at life, of assessing life, and of responding to life. We're learning a new way of living. And being a disciple of Jesus is difficult because it often feels like following his ways, like actually following what he's saying is near impossible to do. I mean, so much of the stuff he says, just it seems crazy. We chalk it up to poetry. He says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted. You have heard it said that the punishment must match the injury. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person when they come to you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer them up your other cheek as well. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies. Here is Jesus, our God, our Savior, our teacher. And he is showing us a new way of living. He is showing us a new way of being. And it's not easy, but it is worth it. So I want to open up this passage in the book of James. If you've got your Bibles or your iPhones, you want to take out your Bible app, uh, James chapter 1. You know this verse. I love this verse. I would say that this is a life verse for me. Starting at verse 2, we're going to go through verse 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete needing nothing. So this verse is a continuation of Jesus's opposite way of thinking. This is James, the brother of Jesus, writing this letter to the church. And he's saying, the way you have assumed things are is not the way they are. When trouble comes to you, don't wring your hands. Don't let the crisis or the contradiction talk you out or seduce you out of the thing that God has done for you. But count those things as a cause for rejoicing. Man, that's incredible. That's an incredible new way of thinking, isn't it? I don't know if you're like me but I don't always operate this way. When stuff happens to me, I don't stop and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's do the calculations now. This is a cause for rejoicing. I typically let those things take me into anxiety and depression and despair and fear. But Jesus is saying, you're assessing things the old way when you do it, when you do that. The new way of looking at this is to count these trials as occasions for joy. That sounds insane. That sounds like something crazy people would do. But here we are. We're looking at life in a different way. 
But in this passage, Christ is teaching us a new way of thinking and living. He is saying, when trials come, have joy, rejoice, be joyful. Do you ever get so irritated when you're having a really bad day and somebody says, oh, come on, cheer up. That's like the worst. My, my daughters, uh, they, they would get in fights at times and, and one would say to the other, uh, oh, just let it go. Get over it. And, and I can't remember which daughter would say this, but uh, telling a girl to get over it is like trying to baptize a cat. <laughs> it's impossible. Somebody says to you, oh, you just need to be joyful. Well, here's the thing. This is the truth about joy. Joy is not something you can muster up. Joy is not having a positive attitude. Joy is not having a good disposition. Joy isn't being an optimist. You can't grit your teeth and make joy appear. Joy is something that springs forth. Joy springs forth out of something that you know. Here's the thing. When I don't have joy operating in my life, it's because I'm in the dark somewhere. When I don't have joy in constant operation in my life, it's usually because my eyes have been covered over with something. And the only thing that can get me out of darkness is the truth. Another, another translation of this passage in, in James, I, I read it as consider these uh, as opportunities to have joy. But another translation says, count it all joy. To count it, like I said before, to count it means to make a calculation. You're doing math here. Make a calculation about what's going on in your life, but not of how many troubles you have, but of how much joy you have because of what you know. Now, back to Christian distinctives. Back to the basics. Christianity 101. What does it mean to be a Christian in the first place? Now, we're, we're actually in a unique cultural moment where deconstruction is kind of the zeitgeist. It's, it's the spirit of the age. It's very popular to uh, embrace, uh, you know, all kinds of doubts and questions. And, and honestly, I think we should. I think when, when you're going through something or you're, you're facing uh, difficult trials, I think it's fair game to ask God hard questions because I don't think God is afraid of us being honest at all. I'm a big proponent of saying what you think to the Lord. But if you do that, you have to be okay with him talking back to you. You might be fully truthful about your story and the way that you feel about your life with the Lord. But you have to know that what you think about your life isn't the whole story. It may be the whole thing as far as what you perceive, but God sees that all the story and what he is doing and what he has done is just as much a part of the equation of that story as what your perception is. 
And when you start being honest with God about what you're not sure of, about the crisis of faith that you're in, and all of that kind of stuff, well, don't be surprised if he starts speaking back to you a better word than the one that you've been speaking. I mean, I'm counting on that, actually. I'm, that's why I worship. That's why I pray. Because when I don't have the full truth, I need the spirit of God to speak it to me. That's why I walk with brothers and sisters who count themselves as Christians. Because when I am weak, I need to tell somebody my story so that they can put, maybe they have joy that I don't have. They can get around me and give me some of that joy. Maybe I'm blind and I can't see and I need somebody to see for me. Maybe I got some smudge on my eyes and I need somebody to speak a better word and get that smudge off my eyes so I can begin to see again. The way things really are. Amen. So we want to make a calculation. Not purely based on our troubles. But based on what we know. Joy isn't something you can fake. Joy is the fruit. Joy is the fruit. Of something that you know. Deep on the inside of you. So that uncertainty. That you've been messing with. That unbelief that you've been messing with. That's trying to seduce you. Out of the thing. That your inner man really knows. You know you're not living on your faith. You're living on the faith of Jesus. You're existing. On the faith of Jesus. Just like you can't muster up joy. You can't muster up faith. The faith that you're carrying. Was given to you by the man Christ Jesus. And it's actually all that you need. Joy is the fruit. Of something that you know. You can't actually be happy. Unless you have a reason to be happy. Did you know that? You can't actually be happy unless there's a reality on the inside of you that scream in happiness. I have a friend right now who has cancer and she has a 2% chance of living. And she says, I'm not going to wait for my life to be good in order for me to be happy. There's some reality on the inside of her that's screaming past the circumstances of what she's actually living through. This person can make those claims because there's a joy that she's feasting on, which is the fruit of something that her faith knows. Christ is speaking a reality on the inside of her that is speaking louder than the contradiction she's living. That's what it means to be a a Christian, y'all. To be a Christian isn't that you have a life that's free from contradiction. It's that you live right squarely in the middle of your contradiction. And the faith of Christ is speaking a louder word. And man, when that faith begins to speak to you and you let it ring clearly and you stop apologizing for it, the fruit of joy that will be elicited in your life will bear fruit to the people around you. It'll answer questions that you have and it'll answer questions for the people around you. Everybody in your life will start falling into muddy holes and coming up with Rolexes. So where does this joy come from? It comes from something that carries more authority than your problem. 
This joy comes from something that carries more authority than your problem. Let me ask you this. How many of y'all have a situation in your life that you would describe as impossible? Yeah, or, or maybe it's not impossible, but you feel stuck between a rock and a hard place. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like there's no answer backwards and there's no answer forward. And you've, you've run your hands over it. You've, you've studied it. You've analyzed it. From everything that you've considered, things feel pretty hopeless. And it's that hopelessness that begins speaking to us that carries us over into despair and frustration. And we, we sink down into ourselves and we get lost and we start questioning God. We start questioning Christ. We start questioning our faith. We start questioning everything about the Christian life. And all the while, there's this reality that's it's in this, it's inside of us, but it's dormant. And we have to get back to it, y'all. We have to get back to the reality that is on the inside of us. Because while you are facing your problem, your, your problem is trying to diminish you. Your problem is trying to diminish you. But here's what I want to say to you guys. Enough happened on the cross and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ for you to never be diminished by your problems again. What happened on the cross and in the resurrection of Christ Jesus was sufficient to the point that you do not have to live a defeated life in the face of no matter what problem that you face. That is what it means to be a Christian, y'all. Jesus was not raised with sickness. He was not raised with disease. He was not raised with an inferiority complex. He was not raised with depression hanging on him. Jesus was not raised to a life of a fear of the dark. He didn't have any fears hanging on him after he got up out of the grave. He was raised in perfection, in the stature and image of God. And Jesus, here's the craziest thing, y'all. As he is, so are we. As he is in the world, so are you and I right now. That's gospel. That's scripture. As Jesus is, so are you. We're just not living from that reality. See, see, we think that's our destination, but really it's our launching point. We think that we're on our way to this, this victory. We think that we're on our way to this, this life where we're unhindered from depression and anxiety and fear. No, that's not our destination. That's our starting point. That's our starting point. And because your faith knows this, that you are already perfect and lacking nothing, joy springs forth. When you really get that revelation that who you are right now in Christ, you already are lacking nothing. Knowing that is how joy actually springs forth in our lives. But you say, but I'm experiencing problems. 
So what? Welcome to life. Problems are not going to go away. Jesus promised this. In the world, you will have troubles. Welcome to the globe. Welcome to life on planet Earth. The Christian life isn't a life of ease and comfort and never having a contradiction that you have to walk through in your life. Your life is one where the contradictions happen, but the joy speaks louder. The contradictions and troubles are happening, but the joy speaks louder. The faith speaks louder. What you know in Jesus about who you are in Jesus is speaking louder to you. Problems are just opportunities for you to discover the truth of your testimony. If you didn't have problems, you wouldn't be able to discover how powerful this joy is, how powerful this faith is, how powerful this love is. Troubles are the proving ground for these things. We know, we know our experience matters. What you've experienced in this life is not something you need to deny. We must tell our stories, but we make a huge mistake if we only tell part of our story. To tell the whole truth about your story, you can't just be honest about what you've experienced. You also must be honest about what God says about you. Jesus came to show you, to prove to you that God did not make a mistake when he made you. So here's Here is my confession. Here is our confession, y'all. I am in Christ, not of my own doing, but of his doing. I am in Christ, not of my own doing, but of his doing. I am his love dream. You are the love dream of God's heart. You got brought into Christ. You didn't make your way there. God brought you in. He's so fully persuaded in his love about how wonderful you are. He did everything imaginable to get you all the way in. And he didn't do it so you could have your life ruined by depression and anxiety and fear and worry and sleepless nights, afraid of the dark, afraid of falling trees, afraid of car accidents. He literally came so that you could live free from the fear of death. We are living free from the fear of death because we have an eternal hope in the man Christ Jesus. That's a Christian distinctive. We have an eternal hope in the man Christ Jesus. I love it. Paul says, I did not come with boasting. I did not come with signs and wonders. I came preaching the cross. So I know I already said this. But sorrow can be so seductive. Your worries and your, your anxieties can be very convincing. But Jesus does not allow trouble to come into your life to bring you to despair. Trouble is just God's excuse to bring your joy to a greater realization. Various trials that you go through They're just places where we get to be discipled by joy. Savannah, can I have you and Justin come up? 
Each crisis, each contradiction, everything that we face, these are where the strength of joy is proved. So whatever crisis that you're going through, whatever contradiction you are facing has already been totally dealt with in Christ. It's already been totally dealt with in Christ. There is no thorn that stands a chance against the truth of God in your life. We too, we, we have come to the same conclusion as St. Paul. We are hard pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not in despair. Thank you, Otis. We are persecuted, but we are not abandoned. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. Y'all, there is an invitation today from the Spirit of God for us to have our eyes open to who Jesus really is for us, to who Jesus really is for us. He's the strength of our lives. And we need to have our eyes washed clean again. I've, I've been, I, y'all, I need to repent. I need to repent. I've been consumed in my life with my troubles. And, and I want to have grace because Robin and I were talking earlier this morning. And you know, it really is true. There are just some seasons in your life where things just aren't going to work the way that you would like them. So if you've heard me this morning, I hope you haven't heard me say, if you apply these principles, all your dreams are going to come true. Because that's not what I've said at all. What I have said is that there are things that are going to happen in life that are very difficult, which we have no answers for. But there is a power, a living power. And his name is Jesus. And he resides, the God of the universe resides on the inside of us. And those points of our lives that seem impossible for us to live through, it is impossible for man, but with God, all things are possible. So if you have your bread and wine this morning, I can't, I can't wait for the day when we get back to real bread and real wine. But God's grace is sufficient. Amen. Just open that stuff up real quick. And I want to prophesy for just a second. So I'm, I'm shifting out of preaching mode. 
I'm, I'm, I'm shifting into prophecy mode. And this is a prophetic word for every single person in this room. And this is a prophetic word for every single person who calls this church their home. Um, things are about to be better than ever. Things are going to get so good that you won't hardly be able to stand it. Things are about to get so good that when you do a compare and contrast with the, with the seasons of hardship that you have gone through, that you have endured, and for some of us, it's been years, years worth of endurance. Things are about to be so good that the years of hardship will pale in comparison to the years of joy that we are about to step into. And I'm not saying that things will be easier. I'm saying that the Holy Spirit is accelerating us. He's opening our eyes to taste and see the goodness of God in the most profound way. To taste and see the goodness of God in a brand new way. And I don't care how old you are. Maybe you've been through the greatest revivals that the world has ever known. This is still going to be better than that. And you don't have to do anything. Maybe, I don't know, maybe you should show up. That would be good. But I, there's not any like religious fervor that you need to muster up in order for the Lord to bring us into his goodness. He's just washing the dust off our feet. He's just washing the mud off our eyes. So before we take this communion, I want you just to close your eyes real quick. And I went through this little exercise this week and I thought it was so beautiful. One of of the things the Lord has been speaking to me is that you all are a bunch of miracle workers. You're all miracle workers. And what I mean is that when you begin to walk in the teachings of Jesus, the impossible begins to happen. People who were once enemies all of a sudden become friends. That's, that's nothing short of a miracle. And so with, with your eyes closed right now, I want you to imagine the table of the Lord's Supper. A lot of us have the images of the 12 disciples sitting around that with Jesus. But I want you to imagine an expanded table. I want you to see it go in each direction but not, not by a few feet. If you can, picture it going a few miles in each direction. And just imagine all of the people who are walking through this world as pre-Christians. And you can just see the Holy Spirit inviting all of these people who haven't had their eyes open to the saving grace of Jesus Christ yet. But that the Lord is just beginning to beckon people to his supper table. 
And so, Lord, we see the table of your supper. And with the spirit and the bride this morning, we say, come. With the spirit and the bride, we say, come. And Lord, we are just like those in the world. We come in need. We come in need of mercy this morning. We come in need of forgiveness. We come in need of healing for our blind eyes, healing for our deaf ears. We open our our hearts up to you this morning to begin a new work in us. And Lord, we We drink this wine and we eat this bread in remembrance of you, in memorial to you. But Lord, also as a prophetic act that more and more and more and more people are going to come to the saving knowledge of the man Christ Jesus. So we take this in your name. Amen. Y'all can partake. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.